Hello again, and welcome everyone to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour Series 1. I am your host, Jason Rutledge. First, I wanted to give a big thanks to everybody who's been checking in with us on our Facebook and Instagram. We really do appreciate it, and all, especially all the love you guys showed for Fandango. If you haven't had a chance to check the movie out, please do. I think you'll love it. And I want to say a big hello to all our new listeners in Pennsylvania and Oregon, and especially in Germany. Hope you've been enjoying the show out there. So now on to episode five. Um, in this installment, we're looking back at the feature film career of the great Savage Steve Holland. Three movies... Two classics, one not so much, but as Meatloaf says, two out of three ain't bad, right? Now, before we begin, I, I should mention that when Nathan and I recorded this one back in January, we had a small dog visiting the studio. Uh, Sophie's great, but she was all over the place. She was up on the table trying to get up on top of my head. So once in a while, you might hear a little dog collar jingle or her tail hitting the side of the table a few times. That's what those little noises are. And now on with the show. Uh, I kind of feel like this one needs a bit of a jump start, and I think I know just the guys to do it. Ah! It's an awesome spectacle. An audacious display of seething opponents. Once again, parallel. In an obstinate attempt to prove superiority of the roads, unequal in our lifetime. The crowd swell with anticipation as the lights turn green! Her alibi's not on Blu-ray? I think it's just DVD. Oh, that's terrible. It was one of those. It was one of the first ones, right? Because right, right. that's it all you could get for a long time. Been for five bucks, yeah. <laughs> Snapper case. <laughs> it's never gone past that Unless five dollar barrier. I may have put it on Blu-ray, but I don't know. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. You don't get the newsletter, the her, the her alibi newsletter detailing its I its progress as time goes on. It's hilarious. That's a good movie. Like, so, nope, still haven't broken that five dollar barrier. We're still in the bin. It's always full screen. Her alibi and. Uh, Arthur was in that bin a lot. Uh, mm. uh, there's a lot of good. Action Jackson used to languish in that. Action movie. Jackson, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But we're not talking about that today. No. no. And we're not talking about Shaft. I know you can dig it, but we're not talking I about Shaft. I can totally dig it. <laughs> are, we, are we on? Yeah, this has been recording oh, okay. for a while now. Awesome. So yeah, that, <laughs> That's going to be So that, that means I can go ahead and say, pleasure welcome back know. everyone to another scintillating episode Smooth Thrills Radio Hour, coming to you from the dog-infested lands of Old East Dallas. Dog. <laughs> dog-infested. And today, we're going to dive into the man, the myth, the legend that is Savage Steve Holland. Not yes. to be confused with Screaming Mad George. Different guy. No. Although, he could get his own episode, because there's a he lot could, there. Yeah, he, he did the sloth monster for Arena. Yeah? The movie adaptation of a video game that doesn't exist. There you go. There you go, Yeah. Savage Steve's first movie, Better Off Dead, huge impact. When I was trying to pull clips for this thing, I, all I could think of was I should just play the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. The whole movie is worth watching over and over and over. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Certainly. It released October 11th, 1985 in its second release and went wide release at that time, where it did pretty well. It was the 89th highest grossing movie of the year, 85, which is saying something because, you know. That was, a, that was a big year. It got beat out yeah. by Remo Williams, who will talk about it at a later date but yeah it thinking about what was going on in 1985 when better off dead hit theaters you're talking about goonies perfect secret yeah. admirer cocoon back to the future 
Rambo First Blood Part 2 and Rocky Fright Four. Night, Weird Science, Real Genius, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Teen Wolf, The Riotously Funny Red Sonia. I mean, just... <laughs> riotously, <laughs> yes. It was a packed, packed year. It was so, a great year, yeah. For anybody to know Better Off Dead came out was something of a miracle. I mean, it was not well-reviewed. I believe uh, Roger Ebert said of the movie, uh, Better Off Dead is the most appropriate title I've heard in a long time. <laughs> But, you know, what does he know? God bless him. I would disagree a lot. With he, him. He, he hated that. He was yeah, fun. He, he hated One Crazy Summer even more. But anyway. Oh, hey now. <laughs> so Savage. Dems fighting voids. Yeah. Savage Steve, fresh off of uh, animating the whammy for Press Your Luck. Yeah. Which is about the only thing he was really known for at the time. I, I, get, think. I think he did a short, like, animation, short subject or something. I, I think but, so. Yeah. And I, I believe that was what caught the attention of, I think, Henry Winkler who was running a production company at the time with all his Fonzie money and got this thing done, I think. I'm not really sure if he was the guy responsible for it or if he just pushed it along. You're talking about Better Off Dead now? Yeah. It was CBS Productions Mm -hmm. was behind it, and Warner Brothers distributed it theatrically. and But, you know, home video and everything else belonged to CBS Productions. Mm -hmm. So they were relatively new to the game as far as film production. Yeah. Like they were trying to not new to the game, but they were trying to run a like rejuvenate their film production. So when we're talking about eighties comedies, they generally fell into one of two categories. It was either the you think you need all this stuff, but really you just need to believe in yourself, and you had the all our problems are solved with money. Most of them fell into one of those two camps, with few exceptions here and there, of course. I don't know where you'd throw Porky's into that. <laughs> I'm just going to have Porky's. But this is the first one. This is one of those, you know, we set up this whole list of enemies for Lane, who he thinks he must defeat in order to win this girl he doesn't really want. And that, that, that occurs a lot. And that was one of the criticisms of the movie is that it basically recycles this whole trope over and over again. Yeah. And that it recycles a lot of its own jokes all over and over again, too. That, that, that came up. But still, it kind of it it works. It's it's tightly edited. I don't think there's a many scenes in this movie that go more than 15, 20 seconds. And we get this first bit where we establish Lane, where he is a stalker of unbelievable proportions. I mean, it, <laughs> His well, walk-in closet. Anybody who has that many photos of, <laughs> of the same Lewis. person <laughs> up in their room is clearly in need of some serious help. That and he never takes his socks off. That's something I didn't notice yeah, really yeah, until yeah. third or fourth viewing of this is... What was the character choice that Cusack made here to keep his socks on the entire time? I think that's what's part of the allure of this film is, yes, it is a very conventional story in terms of how it's presented, but it has to do with the exaggeration of it. Right. And so when you take the stalker element, it makes it absurd and funny. And just about everything in the film is an exaggeration, Mm -hmm. you know. It would be tough to get that kind of thing done now, obviously, you couldn't present someone as the funny stalker, really, and get away with it, yeah, I don't think. Maybe, but, yeah. Maybe. It'd be, be tough. But it, it, no, be it, it is definitely, it's in its own world, that film. True. I mean, I was thinking about this watching all three of these movies that we're going to talk about and thinking, you know, there, there really was a brief period in time where you could do this kind of thing. And two of Savage D's movies fell into that window of opportunity. The last one... Not so much. I don't. I don't think yeah. it's kind of an outlier, and toward the end. But we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. We have our main hero Lane, 
who is not only a stalker, but is also constantly suicidal, which is not something you probably do now either. (laughs) Except for Heather's Teenage Suicide Don't Do It, I can't imagine another movie that touched on suicide quite as much as Better Off Dead did and tried to make a joke out of it. I'm sure there were others, but those are the two that stick out to me. Yeah. We have a scene early on with John Cusack and Booger. Curtis Armstrong. I can never remember his name. I just call him Dudley I've always Booger called Dawson. Him Booger. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure he gets that a lot. Yeah. As we, we set up the parameters for Better Off Dead and what we're going to be doing in this movie. Suicide is never the answer, little trooper. Greendale is a bodaciously small town, Lane. It's a fly speck on the map. A rest stop on the way to a ski slope. I can't even get real drugs here. Stalin's a hero. The only one in this town who can ski the K-12. You're a great skier, Lane, but he's incredible. What if I ski the K-12? You think she'd take me back? Now back to suicide again. Wow, yeah. Those are your only choices, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's your 80s comedy premise right there. Not too complicated. No, it's true. It's 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 formulaic setup, of course. But of course. Uh, the style is what makes it work. <laughs> and that's what we were talking about, Savage Steve. Mm-hmm. His beginnings are kind of mysterious as far as like how does this guy obviously who writes a winning script for mm-hmm. this, but how does he get CBS Productions to go, you're gonna direct this based off of what? I don't know that. We've got like a little bit of animation in the movie that he obviously does. And of course he, that <laughs> but furthers in one crazy summer. I, but. He, no, he didn't do this. There's, he didn't do the stop motion stuff for this movie. No, I'm just talking about the notepad. Oh like, yeah, yeah. 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 Gotcha. Um, but like, what was the selling point? Was the script that hilarious? Like other than like you can he also, he gets compared to John Hughes quite a bit although John Hughes mm. had quite a career up until 16 candles as far as a writer he did he, he, so he had was, a long a history with of, the lampoon he, right and all of that yeah he i think he was involved with the national lampoon radio show for a while he may have been yeah and he wrote for the magazine for sure, sure. and so of course he definitely he had more of a history and he was doing very different movies than right that, so it was, it was an evolution it made sense eventually he would he would direct <laughs> Yeah. I don't know, other than maybe they really needed something to put out and didn't have a lot of choices open to them. Yeah, but it's still, it's not like, this movie is one of those woodwork films where it was a also word of mouth. Mm. Nobody was really a huge star in this. I mean, you had Kim Darby, you know, David Ogden Styers, probably your... You know, Most well-known of the bunch, yeah. Yeah, but they're not the leads. They're the parents of Lane. And, and it's still, it's nothing that makes you go, yes, absolutely. But it, yet it is a film that needed to exist. So who was smart enough to say yes to this? Also, I think there might be an Amy Herkerling connection in the sense that How so? you've got three people in this, Amanda mm-hmm. Wiss, Taylor Negron, mm-hmm. and... Vincent Schiavelli, who were all in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Hey, Vincent Schiavelli should have gotten a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Better Off Dead. And if not that, then Tomorrow Never Dies, I think. There you go. Or Batman Begins. I mean, I'm sorry, Batman Returns. Yes. Criminally underrated character actor, Vincent Schiavelli. But But anyway, he's he's playing a teacher in this as he did in Fast Times. True. 
And Taylor Negron is always that delivery guy. He's the mail guy in this. He's the pizza delivery guy in Fast Times. Of course, he made a career of being that wonderful like character actor that he was mm-hmm. and he would have these parts but i'm wondering if there was a connection between amy heckerling and steve holland don't know and i can't imagine any kind of influence maybe in this being made at some point i imagine it was probably a small enough community of writers and actors that they had to have bumped into each other at some point yeah i would think but yeah certainly but that's just that's just a you know my estimation on mm. it. Perhaps it's not true at all. But. Perhaps. Well, let's just say it is and go yeah. with that. Okay. Like many 80s comedies, we establish all of our setup is done very quickly in the first 10 minutes or so. We establish all of our main villains. First is Stalin. Not Joseph, but <laughs> Roy Stalin. Almost. No, no, not nearly as bad. Well, perhaps metaphorically, Joseph Stalin is our, our main villain. We have the street racers. Uh, we got Ricky. He's not a great villain, but he's still... He's a foil, a I foil. guess. Yeah. Sure. Have uh, another villain presented as his mom's cooking. <laughs> yes, with raisins. With the ra- Yeah, the recipes ran together, but I got the gist of... Yeah. Uh, the fact that she, for Christmas, gets everybody Swanson Hungry Man dinners That's is... awesome. Is yeah. Amazing throwback to that previous joke and really kind of, mostly kind of her at that point, I yes, really think. Yes, merciful. Again, the French bread and... French dressing, French fries. Yes, we got the broken down car. Yeah, which not necessarily a villain, but an obstacle Lane has to overcome, just like the K twelve. We got uh, Johnny Gasparini. Now I understand it that this kid auditioned for this, and he told himself, "This I'm not going to do this like it's a comedy. I'm going to be a serial killer," and that's how he got the part. So it worked. It worked. In fact. Everybody, even That's if you have never quotable ever know seen, that reference. Yeah. Yeah. If you've never seen this movie in your life, you know this clip. You've heard it. Johnny. Four weeks. Twenty papers. That's two dollars plus tip. Uh, gee, Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. Didn't ask for a dime. Two dollars. Well, uh, it's funny, see. My mom had to leave early to take my, my brother to school and my dad to work because... Two dollars. Cash. See, the problem here is is that my little brother this morning got his arm caught in the microwave and and uh, my grandmother dropped acid and she freaked out and hijacked a school bus full of penguins. So it's kind of a family crisis, so come back later. Great. Come up, come up, down, doobie-doo, down, down. He's like the miniature James Russo. And he's, very, he's very menacing. Yeah. He came up it heavily in the Cisco and Ebert review that I went back and found. Someone has posted an old VHS copy of it on YouTube. And so they, did Cisco did like it? No, he really... Damn, they both panned he, it. Okay. He said he made an effort to forget everything he saw about it. But he referenced the last shot of the movie where we have that sweeping crane shot the, as oh, the, the paper boys field. coming in. Yeah. And he, Siskel breathed that it was almost, he thought they were going for some kind of Fellini-esque shot at which Ebert almost lost his mind <laughs> and said, how dare you bring up Fellini in the context of this movie? Savage Fellini. How dare you? How dare you, sir? Yeah. But we hit the major tropes here. We have all of our villains set up. We have the indestructible station wagon. What's well, a mountain he's got to cross? Much like the K-12. Sure. Yeah. And we get some other, you know, at this point in our history, we're also kind of tired jokes like the 
in the third street race, the car goes over the ramp and lands in a pond, which is somehow immediately filled with ducks. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know. They didn't wreck a fruit stand. So they, I give them credit for not doing that one. But just because there's water doesn't mean there has to be a duck in it. We know it's water right. without having to have the duck. I would fault the movie for that. But, you know, minor thing. Well, I think this movie doesn't get enough credit as being a satire. As much as just a, just a comedy. Yeah. But it is very much a satire on, which is crazy, because the teenage angst film wasn't completely in its fruition by that point. No. So it, it was as if well, what he would you had, have had a sight ahead point? of... I don't know. I mean, yeah. you could when say was, the sure thing. Sure, has when it was bit, Last American Virgin? That was 82, 82. With Diane Franklin, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was 82. Of course, that was based on the 70s film, mm-hmm. The Lemon Popsicle. But, right. So that, you could even say that was long before that. That was, what, 77, mm-hmm. I think? That was an Israeli release only one. Yeah. I don't think that got a... No, the, some of the sequels did. Okay. But they were rebranded different titles like Private Popsicle or... Django's Up Popsicle. Up the Anchor. Yeah, Django's <laughs> Popsicle. <laughs> Yes, Franco Nero see that was movie, not, and you? I do. I'm on a spaghetti western <laughs> kick right now, so I do want to see Django's Popsicle. Bride of Django's Popsicle. Yeah. Django's that, Popsicle gets married. All, the, yeah, all of them. Strikes again. Yeah, strikes definitely. Again. So no, I, I agree. Yeah, it wasn't that well established. but And uh, Savage Steve claims that this movie was at least partially autobiographical. Okay. He said something about, we get the scene a bit later where Lane has the hose tied around his neck that goes up to the pipe. Savage Steve said, yeah, he actually did this. He was suicidal, had tied a hose to a pipe in the garage, and was standing on a bucket. And then the bucket collapsed and the pipe broke. So he was standing in a broken bucket with a pipe dangling around his neck attached to a water pipe that was leaking onto his head in the garage and thought... There's a movie here, <laughs> and came up with Better Off Dead. I don't know if that's a true story or not. It's I a mean, great story. At it least. probably is, given Savage Steve. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing that's great about the satire is you're telling a teenage angst story, but you're also taking it in the context of how exaggerated. If you look back at your angst as a teenager. Mm-hmm. How overly dramatic could it have been? Like, was it versus oh, now? Where you go, yeah, it was everything was the end of the world. You broke up with the girl of your dreams, you know. So that's you really what he's hitting on. You accidentally give paint thinner to your neighbor's mom. Who hasn't done that? Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> Exploded We've all her been face. There. Yeah. But uh, no, that's exactly what it is. And even down to the bullies, you know, right. everything. So it, I think that's why we just look at it as an 80s comedy, but it's an 80s satire. It's, hmm. I don't want to say it's Mel Brooks style in vain, but it almost is in a way. We have it's just not overt. Well, like Mel Brooks, we do have something of a musical number thrown into this thing. Yeah. The Frankenberger. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing definitely. piece of stop motion animation where Lane has lost all connection with reality at this stage. Brilliant. Yeah. Wasn't the guy who running the restaurant the same guy that ran the restaurant in Porky's? Well, that is Porky. Is it? Yeah, I he had the bar, Porky's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same <sighs> actor. I didn't look it up, but I thought that looked really yep. familiar. And uh, let's see. There are... Everybody in town is asking out his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Even Barney Rubble. Yeah, Barney <laughs> Rubble on the TV, what's the dough? And Taylor Negron, you know. So many things you couldn't do now. You could not do the older teacher 
dating the high school and kid. Just driving and in the parking lot, waving at him. You yeah. couldn't do that now. No. And that, but the, what was funny is that was in the Don't Stand So Close to Me era. It was. Post that song. So it's like, that's even, it's kind of another layer to it. Yeah, they, they, they didn't have it playing over the car radio while he was driving. That would have been a bit on the nose probably. Yeah, yeah I, get, I get what you mean. They, they could have tried to get it, that's for sure. <laughs> they could have. They got a lot of songs. They got a surprising amount of stuff licensed. Now, yes. It was probably through CBS Records, I think, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Van Halen wasn't on CBS Records, were they? They were Warner Brothers. Ah, so maybe that was part of the distribution. That might have been, but the other, the other interesting thing is it wasn't a fresh track that they took from Van Halen. That was from a previous album. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, and by that by the time this movie had come out, David Lee Roth had left the band. Yeah, 1984 had come out. Yeah, that was the I last album I think the year before in 1984. I think so. Or yeah. somewhere around that time. There was a lot of 1984-related stuff in 1984. Yeah, there was. One too many, perhaps. <laughs> yes. It's, We've established the stakes. We got our villains. We're joking it up to this point. Yeah. Every single scene is a setup for a punchline. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like like it has to happen in all these movies, we, we've had at least one montage. Oh, yeah. I think we get one. No, we get a point. couple. We get the car fixing montage. Yes, yes. That. Like to get to know you well. Yeah. Yeah. Howard Jones. Yep. He was like the 80s comedy version of Kenny Loggins having his music on every Kinda single so. soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenny Loggins. Very good reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At any, what happens in every 80s movie is the gauntlet must come down. We have to come down to the final battle. Mm-hmm. He's conquered most of his enemies up to this point, except for Joseph Stalin. <laughs> Here we go. The confrontation begins. Hey, buenos dias. Bonjour. Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? Listen, Meyer, I just stopped by to tell you I'm going to be picking a new captain for the ski team on Sunday. All you got to do to be captain, Meyer, is beat me. I mean, the triads won't be the same if you're not there, champ. So uh, what are you and Meyer talking about? Is he telling you what a great lover he is? She only speaks French, Roy. She doesn't speak imbecile. Ooh. Meyer, there's one language that I speak that all women understand. Just ask your last girlfriend. Would you like to learn some new words? Shit! Stupid! Oh, pardon moi, je suis très stupide. What's going on here? Nothing. Just learning that Meyer's new frog girlfriend here is just as much of a clod as he is. Hey, hold on, champ. You think you're such a big tough guy because you're captain of the ski team. The truth is I could outski you any day of the week. Oh, really? Yeah, you want to race, I'll take you on any day, sucker. Yeah, I'm sure. From the K-12, champ. <laughs> Chicken? What did you say? Anytime, you name it. Oh, Meyer. You're digging your own grave. No one has to know, just me and you. Sunday. High noon. You're on. This just in. Lane Meyer will be racing Royce Dowling down, down K-12 this Sunday at 12 noon. There's another thing that happens here that I think is important, and this also happens in the next movie, is it's very clear that as much as Lane thinks he is the underdog of this whole thing, Nobody in that school likes Joseph Stalin or even Roy Stalin, right. the guy who's in the, in actually in the movie. Yeah. 
everybody pulls behind them immediately. They want him to beat this guy. Right. As the audience, you want him to beat this guy. And he does. I'm not giving anything away here. Spoiler alerts. As if you didn't see this coming. Yeah. On one ski. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow. I think he was wearing welding goggles at the time, too, when he went down the mountain. Yeah. Defeats our villain. Order is restored. The only thing we lack is that other 80s trope of the villain getting some sort of fluid or liquid dumped on them at the end of the movie. True. Which uh, is a missed opportunity. I don't know how they could have worked it in exactly. Well, this lunchroom scene also reminds me a lot of William Zabka and just one of the guys where he's, you know, bullying all the... uh, nerdy types and then they dump all the food on him or, you know, oh, or the trays get dumped right. on him somebody lifts the table that kind of thing but he reminds me of William Zabka and just one of the guys and also Michael Bowen and Valley Girl I haven't seen Valley Girl in ages and ages oh, and ages so great isn't that the one where she they go up to the theater and she's like is this movie in 3D because he's wearing no, 3D no but your face is yes <laughs> no Classic. that's Michael Bowen He's he asked that question He's like, oh, cool. It's a movie ah, in 3D. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So Better Off Dead was a pretty successful movie. It was made on the cheap. I mean, they had no money to do this. But it did well enough that he was able to get One Crazy Summer launched the next year, which actually yeah. got a summer release, unlike the October release for this yeah. one, which made more sense, really. But real quick, before we jump into that one, I wanted to note the Dan Schneider connection. So The Dan Schneider connection. Yeah. All right. Because he plays Ricky. Yeah. Okay. So this was before he had done, I don't know if he had already done Hot Resort yet, but it was certainly before he was on Head of the Class. Sure. So this began the relationship between him and Savage Steve Holland. Mm -hmm. So as far as we know, he later appears in, he's not in One Crazy Summer, but he is in How I I Got Into College. But years later, he became a huge producer for Nickelodeon, Mm -hmm. and Savage Steve ends up working for him essentially. And in fact, in one episode of iCarly, Savage Steve directs, Dan Schneider produces, and Curtis Armstrong guest stars. That was one thing about Savage Steve is he really built his entourage or his go-to group really, really quickly. Stock company, essentially, yeah. I mean, even the crew, I think, was reused a lot. He liked to work with his people. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I think you get better movies a lot of times out of that. You definitely have a rhythm going by the For time sure. you get to oh, the sure. next film. But yeah. I mean, wasn't Raimi even said that because he had the shorthand with Bruce Campbell all the time. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't even have to, yeah. Like, I need you to shemp for this guy. And they yeah. knew exactly what they were talking right, about. Right, because they've gone back since, like, oh, yeah. kids making movies. Yeah. So One Crazy Summer was released 8th of August, 1986. Uh, at the time... It was up against another full blast summer of movies. Mm. I mean, you had Aliens, yeah. uh, Karate Kid Part 2, Friday the 13th Part 6 at that point. Yeah, Jason Lives. It didn't take him long. The <laughs> classic Howard the Duck, which actually outgrossed One Crazy Summer by quite a bit somehow. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, Short Circuit's in there. I didn't have Short Labyrinth. Circuit. Uh, we had Transformers the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, incidentally, One Crazy Summer opened... With 3.4 million, its opening weekend, up against Transformers the movie, which made 1.7 million. Which is crazy to think that. That it made all of about 1.7 million. It should have been lower. <laughs> no, just, well, you know what? It had then, Orson Welles in it. <laughs> and Leonard Nimoy and Judd Nelson. Robert Stack. Yeah. <laughs> 
But actually, no, it isn't Eric that Idle. surprising. You'd think that they would be successful, but it seemed like that G.I. Joe the movie and Secret of the Sword mm. and I guess Care Bears was the only like movie that really did well. Yeah. Also, anyway, anyway, filling out your summer schedule, you also had Back to School. Yeah. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm-hmm. The Uproarious Comedy Top Gun. Yes. And About Last Night, ah, which Demi actually Moore. another Demi Moore movie that came out a month before One Crazy Summer, which he had actually shot first. That makes sense because by the time she... One Crazy Summer almost, because her character is essentially the same character almost from No Small Affair. Like she's a singer ah, and a yeah, performer. Yeah. So the, it feels like leftovers from that movie. Be, mm. But in the midst of that, she'd already done St. Elmo's Fire. So she was already ascending. Right. At this point, we really should touch on the great mystery of Holland and Cusack. Now... Neither of them have really gotten into this, but I don't know if there's some misunderstanding, but when Better Off Dead was screened, Cusack confronted Savage Steve and said, you've lied to me, I'll never work with you again, this isn't the movie I thought we were making. And if he hadn't been contractually obligated to do One Crazy Summer at that point, he wouldn't have been involved. Hmm. But what all that was about, I have no idea. I mean, what script did he read? Everything that made him think Better Off Dead was going to be a very different movie than what was shot. Tonally, that script has to be just like the movie. It had to be. Unless, I mean, unless it came down to alternate scenes or the structure was different than he had expected. Like maybe they did an alternate ending that he was banking on and they didn't. How do you have this know. entire sequence in the movie where you give birth to a stop motion guitar playing hamburger and not know what kind of movie you're involved in exactly? Yeah. And, and who is John not like Cusack? that was an afterthought because no. you, yeah. And who is John Cusack at this point in his career to be calling these kinds of shots anyway, really? This is rumor, or are we? No, know this, this is to be well documented. Yeah, I've heard an interview with uh, Bobcat Goldthwait talking about this. Wow. Okay. Where Goldthwait was even like, it was kind of tense on the set because Cusack was upset that he had to do this movie, and we're like, "What is wrong with you? What?" Do we-? And it was all this beef he had over Better Off Dead that I don't know where it came from. They haven't talked about it since. Cusack's a mysterious figure. He's a mysterious he, figure. Yeah. But I thought he had good chemistry with Demi Moore. I thought she did well in this movie. Yeah. They both seem to play off each other very well. I think it looks, certainly looks like they were both in on what they were doing. And it looks like he's having fun. So sure. Maybe that's the magic of Cusack is that he can be seething pile dumps. of rage and still yeah. <laughs> but pull it off. It's a professionalism. Speaking of seething piles of rage, um, when I re- went back and rewatched this, I got really confused because... Uh, Joel Murray is doing the best Rick Dukeman impression I think I've ever seen. And I get the I, prior to Rick Dukeman being a, in the verbs. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I was like, oh, that's Rick Dukeman. I looked it up. I was like, wait a minute, no, it's yeah. Joel Murray doing a Rick Dukeman or something. But before we knew Rick Dukeman, yeah. Hmm. Did you get that impression from this? It's he. No. The mannerisms are there. The voice is kind of there. All he has to do is hold up a femur and go, no, this is Walter and. I know, I know, I know. Well, I don't know. I'd have to look at it again from that perspective, but I never really got that impression. Although, you know, what's funny is for the years I didn't know he was, you know, related to Bill Murray or, mm. you know, Brian Doyle Murray or John. I think Murray. Bill Murray has like 15 brothers, yeah. 15, 16 brothers. Or because he doesn't, I mean, yeah, that's his last name. 
but right. and there is a there is a physical resemblance, mm-hmm. but there, he has a different vibe about him. He's very good. He's got a Murray vibe for sure. Sure. But he's he's got this laid back chili dog. You know, he's got that kind of approach. Last bite. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I first saw this movie as a kid and thinking it was probably the funniest damn movie I've ever seen, just based off of his scenes I, at the beach. I did. I liked this movie better than Better Off Dead, actually. I think it's a more cohesive movie. And it has Niedermeyer. If you're going to establish a villain in an 80s movie, all you got to do is yeah. get Niedermeyer, which we're establishing here. These are our villains. Mark Metcalf. Ted like to have a word with you. In a minute, Dad. I'll try not to take up too much of your time. Okay, okay. Are you ready for the regatta, Ted? Yeah, sure, I'm ready. The new sloops of beauty, I can't lose. If you screw it up this year, you and I are out. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Grandpa. How are you? Good. If you screw it up this year, Ted, that decaying old man, your grandfather, takes everything away. Do you understand, Ted? If you don't come home with that trophy, we lose it all. No more pools. No more Ferrari. And do you know what happens then, Ted? Don't say it, Dad. That's right, Ted. You'll have to go to... No! Work! No, Dad, don't say it! Don't say that word! Please, I'll win! Just don't say that word! That's why I need this Eldridge land. With this land, I can finally start building Beckerstead Estates. And that crazy old man Hi, Daddy. Hi, Grandpa. Have a wonderful day. That crazy old man can't hold that race over my head every year. So there we go. The stage is set. We have a race. We have a whole bunch of little Monopoly-looking houses set up to be Beckerstead Estates. Yeah. And you have your pretty much your ultimate 80s comedy villain, even though Animal House was 78. But Mark Metcalf. He did this a lot. Yeah. Even in Twisted Sister music videos. So, yeah, he's always money (laughs) in the bank. Absolutely. And this movie's plot is, you know, it's very reminiscent of other movies of that era where Up the Creek, Boat Race, uh, summer rental doesn't mm. have a yeah, boat race. Yeah. Well, the one subversion they do here is you're fully expecting when Cassandra says she has to come up with $3,000 to pay off the mortgage, you're fully expecting the regatta to have a prize of a precisely $3,000, but they switch it up on you Yeah. and they don't go that route. And that, I, I liked that. I yeah. like that part of it. Effectively, the, why the granddad is holding this regatta race over both of them and their inheritance is beyond me. It's never explained. He's an asshole. Yeah, he's okay. less of an asshole <laughs> than Mark Metcalf's character, <laughs> but yeah, slightly less of an asshole than he is in, say, Christmas Vacation. Yeah, the great William Hickey. <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings me to the next thing I wanted to mention was this movie is not as tightly edited as Better Off Dead. It's given a little bit more room to have longer scenes, and it also gives this amazing pile of supporting cast room to do their thing. That's true. First and foremost, the great Joe Flaherty. Yes. I have to bring up the speech he gives to, I guess, his scout troop or whatever it is you want to call this thing. And this is Curtis Armstrong's father. Curtis Armstrong's father. 
in the movie. But I would not be surprised if he improvised this whole scene. In an emergency situation, the victims cannot and must not be allowed to think for themselves. How shock and the horror of, of what just happened will surely impair their judgment. You must do the thinking in order to save them. In this case, a plane has just crash-landed on this point. Now there are going to be bodies everywhere, just gushing blood, and their faces are going to be just pulled right off of their heads, and armpits will be hanging from trees. Their eyeballs are going to be sticking out of their heads, and you're going to have to just push them back in with a, a stick or something. And, and remember, you are the only thing that will stand between life and death. Now, let's do it. Fantastic. And he's almost channeling Count Floyd in that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. So great. He never really. That might be why you like this better than Better Off. Maybe. Dead. He never really escaped <laughs> Count Floyd, did he? I mean. No, but I mean, what other characters or roles does he does describe? He do I gruesome detail. <laughs> And you almost expect you expect that accent to come through at some point. But oh, it sure, doesn't. sure. Yeah. I think he even used the accent when uh, Freaks and Geeks, when they talked him into putting on the old cape and outfit again for the Halloween episode. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I remember him having that accent back then, too. Yeah. But you not only Joe Flaherty, but you also get Bobcat Goldthwait. Hell yeah. Who was like a comedy juggernaut at the time. Sure. He Up to this point, he'd... As far as movies were concerned, he'd already done Police Academy 2, their first assignment, and Police Academy 3 back in training, and was about to do Police Academy 4. Miami Beach? Was that the Miami Beach one? No, that's part five. Five, damn. Four is Citizens on Patrol. That's right. Yeah, that was the last one that he did. It was also the last one that Steve Gutenberg did. He got did, out just in time. And it was the last one that Tim Kazarinski did. Mm. Um. But he, he was also going to do Burglar with Whoopi Goldberg, which is underrated fun. Really? Yeah. Mm. I enjoy that movie. All right. A lot of the heat goes on Jumpin' Jack Flash, which is a great movie, but uh, Burglar's fun. Yeah. Also Hot to Trot. Hot to Trot. Yeah. He was doing all these movies for Warner Brothers, by the way. Mm. So his moment of glory comes at the Stork Brothers garage. Of course. I just wish I could make my father understand. Heck, I understand. You do? Uh-huh. Let me tell you a story about a little fat boy that nobody loved and that all the other kids, they used to make fun of him and they would pick on him and, they, and, they, and then they used to say that he talked funny and stuff. And he had a and he had a twin brother, and everybody and, and, and everybody said they didn't like anything like his twin brother, but but he wanted to. Hank, were you the little fat boy? No, no, but but I just like to beat him up, you know. I grab my go, why are you so fat? Why are you so fat? And I beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and the great, so uplifting. late great Tom Villard is. Oh, brother. yeah. Well, this is is not not that's probably his his best scene mm. next to 
the Godzilla costume. The Godzilla thing. I, I've when I rewatched this again, I kept thinking the first thing they came up with was the Godzilla scene and had to structure a whole movie around it just as yeah. An what would you do, do if you walked thing. into a prop trailer? Yeah, sure, exactly. Bobcat Goldthwait. And again, that's another. The th- reason why I thought that might be the funniest movie ever made at that point in my life right. when I was a kid. Well, you also get that great shot of him stomping through the little Monopoly houses and then they cut to <laughs> Niedermeyer standing next to the Japanese banker who's just smiling his ass off watching this thing. Yeah, this, this is amazing stuff. Those These little playing, touches make uh, all the difference. Club Tokyo or whatever he's... <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be here tonight. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was great. Now, Better Off Dead was actually better reviewed, if you can believe it or not, than One Crazy Summer. That is, that's... Um, again, Siskel and Ebert absolutely hated it. Among the uh, haters of this was a New York Times critic, Nina Darton, who at the time wrote, um, There are all kinds of movies, movies that entertain, that frighten, that excite, that thrill, that move, that make you laugh, make you think. One Crazy Summer cannot be accused of any of these. I mean, that's harsh. It's harsh, oh, but it's an on. entertaining review. It is. It is. What other kind of movie could inspire this kind of entertaining review? I don't I don't really know. Well, what's interesting looking back at these reviews, and I've been on, I've watched a lot of Siskel and Ebert stuff in the past year as far as mm. I feel like, you know, like going back and watching all that. I mean, I, sometimes I agree, sometimes I disagree, but it's always entertaining to me to feel the kind of anguish they're trying to, <laughs> to, to, uh, I guess explain in their review that like, yeah. this is the worst possible thing they had to been, they had to sit through. First of all, they're not paying to see this movie. Right. Generally they're not usually, but second of all, this is bad. Like, Hey, go on. back, go back and read Ebert's review of Zardoz. Well, I, can, felt about I can almost agree with him on some of the points. I think there. he said something along the lines of it's no more than two hours long. And that was the best thing he had to say about the entire picture. So. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting film, but if I were to give it a review, interesting, be, it would be the alternate title should be penis envy, the motion picture. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Well, we've talked about it before that we, neither of us can figure out how the guy went from making deliverance. <laughs> To Zardoz. Well, look at <laughs> Borman, like from Deliverance to Excalibur, he had some hidden gems in the midst. I mean, I mean. Really? I mean, like, why is he doing this? I don't Exorcist know. Exorcist 2 was after Zardoz. Oh, yeah. I get the sequel no one really asked for. But speaking of these lapses, these things that happened, something happened after One Crazy Summer, and Savage Steve never quite recovered from his feature film career from that. I, I don't think it's his fault. I think you had a period of time, and see if you disagree with this, where you had, I would say it was a period between, say, Porky's and Porky's Revenge. 81, so 85. Call it the, 82, the Porky's yeah. parenthesis, if you will. Okay. Where you could do these kinds of movies, and it was okay. You, there were still loads of people who wanted to see this stuff. And then... Probably right around the time this was released, and a, right after Porky's Revenge, the inevi- it, it happened. We had the AIDS crisis really blow up, and it sent everybody making movies into a turmoil. Nobody knew what to do. I mean, even Timothy Dalton was getting cast as James Bond, and the question was, okay, we can't show him smoking now, and we can't 
absolutely can't show him jumping from bed to bed with women. It would be horribly responsible. We just can't. And I think there was an enormous pullback on doing stuff like this. Not necessarily this kind of movie. I think it got caught up in that rollback and... Well, yeah. That sort of, we don't know what kind of movie to make right now that's going to be okay. Well... I kind of disagree in the sense that, well, this isn't a sex comedy. Right. Neither was Better Off Dead. Like, Porky's are clearly sex sure, comedies. Sure. Um, but there still were quite a few after that, even though were, they started, the, well, the situation they weren't was as different. successful, certainly. No, I th- and I think a lot of those movies were specifically engineered to have small releases and then get sold to HBO and Cinemax. Yes, definitely. To make their yeah, money. Yeah. Stuff like Ski School was probably yeah, one of those. the motion picture. Sure. Yeah. I th- yeah. That, that was part of it. And also... A second factor may have been PG-13. I I think there was a lot of push to take advantage of this new rating. And it really wasn't in Savage Steve's wheelhouse to do those kind of movies. I don't think he wanted to do the, I want to say more obscene, but the more harder-edged comedies that were needed to fill that void, needed to fill that spot. Yeah. And it just wasn't his thing. Even John Hughes backed out of these kind of movies at this point. He was, Hughes was saying stuff like, I just don't understand teenagers anymore. That may have been part of it, but I think there's more to it than that. You had these dual forces working against the traditional 80s comedy. Yeah. They were sort of pushing some people out that maybe didn't deserve to be pushed out, or they just weren't able to get their stuff budgeted anymore. Well, that may have been more of the case, too, is the fact that by now we're in full swing of the summer blockbuster. Mm Mm-hmm. Mid to late eighties. Yeah, you had you started having stuff like Batman. Yeah, uh, tentpole release. Another Indiana Jones movie. The last, well, what I consider the last Indiana Jones movie came out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there, there was ever another one after that. But, I, uh, there was talk about doing one. I don't I, think they ever did. Yeah, it. it never came to pass. I guess. But sure, sure. It, it was the environment was changing, and a lot of stuff was getting shunted to cable. The drive-ins were closing down, and the place to put something like One Crazy Summer into the schedule just never really reappeared now well, if you're warner brothers you're not going to like force this one out necessarily as much as you would anything else that year this is going to be right. a small release sure. and, and like you're saying a lot of these movies kind of just they they performed far better on home video and cable mm-hmm. right than they did in theaters and that was their their ultimate home which yes brings us to the third feature release for savage steve which was definitely had more of a life on cable how I got into college. Yeah. I can't, we can't lay the blame on this one on Savage Steve. First of this all, this was he didn't a salvage write it. job from him. Yeah. Salvage um, Steve Holland? He was brought in after the original director, uh, Jan Eliasberg, got fired. Now, Jan Eliasberg, her only previous credits had been episodic television. And it wasn't even in comedies, unless you think Cagney and Lacey was funny or it had its wise guy. Or L.A. Law. Ken but, Wall is a comedic genius. But those were her credits. And so I don't know how she got stuck with doing something like how I got into college. It didn't seem like a good fit based on that resume. Or the writer, who was uh, Terrell Seltzer, who wrote a couple of episodes of Johnny Bago and the now completely forgotten George Clooney, Michelle Pfeiffer vehicle, um, One, One Fine, Fine Day. Day. That's a good movie, though. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it's fun. Anyway, so yeah, he was brought in to do a patch job and do the best he could to get this thing going. And you can kind of see 
elements that he brought in. Oh, definitely. It feels uh, Kurt, like it's a forceful Savage Steve film. You can. It's sort of like when uh, Tarantino did the rewrite of what that that's um, the submarine movie Gene Hackman. Oh, Crimson Tide. Yeah, you can tell the moments where he rewrote the script because all of a sudden Denzel Washington is talking about Silver Surfer. It, it felt like those bits, like Curtis Armstrong would not be taking visions from Jesus on a flaming pie in this movie had Savage Steve not been involved. Right. There were, there were those moments. Other than that, it doesn't feel like a Savage Steve movie. It doesn't, it's not paced like one. It doesn't look like one. The SAT question guys very much is That's Savage him. Steve. Definitely. And that might have been, is that the first, that, that probably the first time I ever saw Tom Kenny, by the way. Might have been. Yeah. That's uh, 89, so. He was B, I think, wasn't he? Yeah. Because the other guy, I can't remember his name, was. He was had, in One Crazy Summer yeah. as the he uncle at the, the lottery. Um, Everybody owned bazookas back then in the 80s, too. Isn't <laughs> that weird? It was a Rambo era. It was. Um, but, and then the, your only connections, like, as far as those films being a trilogy, mm-hmm. would be Taylor Negron and Curtis Armstrong are in all three. Right. Then you got Dan Schneider in the first and third, but you don't have a lot of other through lines. Well, how I got into college hit theaters May 19th, 1989, where it was up against uh, like Fright Night Part 2. Yeah. Uh, and this is what I mean by comedies have taken a shift here. Because remember our previous list. Now we get stuff like See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Great the Dream Team. Weekend of Bernie's. Major League. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of, two of the funniest movies ever, Roadhouse and Pet Cemetery. True. Uh, Rain Man. That's also one of the funniest movies ever made. And uh, Adventures of Baron Munchausen was released that same time. Mm. And How It Got Into College still managed to only make back $1.6 million of its $10 million budget when it hit theaters. I mean, I, I, do you know anyone that saw it in the theater? I saw it on I, cable. I thought I it was it made HBO. for cable. I thought it was actually made for cable television because I can't remember it ever getting into theaters, at least not anywhere I was close to. I think I remember seeing ads in the paper, but not... I don't no, remember seeing there, TV no spots. Way. I don't remember seeing the trailers. There's no way they did TV spots for this. I mean, nobody of any real fame was in this movie. I mean, you had Corey Anthony Parker. Anthony Edwards is probably your biggest star, and he's not the lead. Uh, yeah, he wasn't the lead. He was first billed, yeah. but he wasn't the lead. And this was before ER also. I guess the uh, closest thing you get is Corey Parker, who was in Friday the 13th, The New Beginning. Biloxi Blues. And his breakout role as janitor in Nine and a Half Weeks. Who could forget that? <laughs> Oddly enough, he wasn't the guy that cleaned up after the fridge makeout session. It was a different janitor. As an alternate version, there's a cutscene. Oh, okay, okay. The saxophone music starts squonking and you have Corey Parker in there sweeping. It would have been really good. I yeah. would have watched that. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, you had um, yeah Anthony Edwards... Some bit players you've seen here and there, like Charlie Rocket. Yeah, you've got the you've got an SNL alum there of Charles Rocket. Mm. You've got <laughs> not, not, Brian not from Doyle the good Murray. Years, but yeah, <laughs> I love Charles Rocket on <laughs> SNL. That was probably one of the best points of that season, even though he got fired ultimately and yeah. the season went to hell. But but yeah, he was great. And then you had Finn. current SNL cast members Nora Dunn and Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman, yeah, and Finn Lara Flynn Boyle. No. No, no, no. Tremors. Oh, Finn Carter. Yeah. 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 Who we will, we will remember Had more. Have you done Tremors yet? No, Tremors came a bit later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it was a lot of B players effectively were in this movie. It, they went on it, to better things, certainly. Does Corey Parker not feel like a John Cusack type to you in this? Like, no. like 
No, he has no none of that charisma. No, no, no. no. I just mean like, <laughs> or is he playing? Not John the Cusack yeah. Like you the would, they would want him, even though that probably was never going to happen with the fallout with Holland. But mm. like, it kind of feels like that would have been the next like evolution. Going to college, he's done the high school movies. Yeah, now it, it, he could have been like possibly? if he had been in it, this movie could have had some some type of success. It does of course, feel weird though because it's not a summer movie. It's not set on either coast. I mean, we had previously, we had California, then East Coast, Nantucket, and One Crazy Summer. This is set Michigan, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I, they, I don't think they really said for sure where it was. Somewhere close they to do, Pennsylvania. But it's, yeah. Somewhere around in there. But it just, it doesn't, f- it's just off. And I, we do have our standard 80s comedy setup in which uh, Corey Parker, whose character name I can't remember, Mason, Manson, one of those two. And his friend Oliver. The Christopher Rydell character? Yeah. Yeah. Where the, he confronts him with his stalker ways at the diner. You're staring at me again, Marlon. Don't do this, Oliver. I'm weak from unrequited love. Talk to her about it and end this twisted childhood obsession with Jessica Kahlo. This is true love, Oliver. I mean, how many people do you know who really end up with their high school sweethearts? What are you going to do, wait till you get to college to talk to her? I have seen a myriad of men come and go through Jessica Kahlo's life since the sixth grade. I am not going to make those same mistakes. I'm committed. <laughs> you should be committed. I know. I know you have bigger plans. Of course I do. What's it going to take to convince you of that? Forget about this go-to-college crap. What's wrong with experiencing the real world? Look, we get out of high school, we stick out our thumbs, and pow, we got a four-year jump on everybody. We may even run amok with rebel game show hostesses traveling the world with unclaimed vacation prizes. I'm sorry, Oliver. I just, I don't buy into the theory that on day one of real life, we stick out our thumbs, and pow, Vanna White picks us up and drives us off into a bright and exciting tomorrow. Well, I don't buy into the theory that getting a college education has got to revolve entirely around the possibility of Jessica Kahlo finally giving you the time of day. Oliver was right. Oliver was right. But doesn't that setup feel really forced to you? Kind of. I mean, they wanted to do a joke with Bob Eubanks at the end of the movie. Right. I get it. Okay, we set that up. Fine. We know it's going to pay off somewhere down the road. Fine. It still just doesn't feel... Uh, something's not there. Something's yeah. lacking here. Although I will say... Rydell's character might be the most entertaining in this, even though it's not as flushed out as it should be. Mm-hmm. Like you welcome his moments in the film because it just kind of. He, he reminded me of Robert Downey Jr. in Back to School. Okay, yeah, in very this, much that a, same kind yeah, of against Keith that Gorgon. They had there, sure, Gorgon, Gordon, Gorgon. Jesus Christ, <laughs> that Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing movie. He's no. never going to hear this. Don't worry about it. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's the, it's that's a cliche yeah. that of sure. the genre, the subgenre at that point. Yeah, that, that would definitely have been. And actually, Corey Parker reminds me more of Jonathan Silverman. Actually, oh, like I could see him being the lead in this. A Jonathan although, Silverman wannabe. Although Corey Parker's pretty damn good in this, he tries, he does what he can with it, but it's the script just doesn't. It didn't pop. No. There's no and there's I'm a flatness sure, to it. I'm sure Holland did a rewrite on it. He's mm-hmm. not credited as doing it, but because oh, it has those to. touches throughout. Sure. Like, how do we take a, I'm thinking the most conventional comedy mm. and making it 
stand out a bit. And he tries, definitely, tries. definitely tries. But the end result is just kind of, I don't know. Like I, I remember seeing this back in the day on Cinemax or HBO mm-hmm. and thinking, okay, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I just, there was nothing that stood out about it. Um, so I just revisited this. Yeah. The past week, I had the second time I've seen the movie and I'm like, now I'm going to have a better mm-hmm. appreciation of it. Well, I do in the sense of the actors, like I'm a, like, I appreciate there's so many, there's wall to wall character actors in this that right. just make it worthwhile for that alone. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of, eh, yeah. it's just a bland movie. It doesn't. I mean, you have like the hopeful characters, like the Tashina Arnold character, and her probably the most interesting. And you want to kind of root for yeah. them. You they should know. have made that movie, right? That's that's an avenue that it could have taken. Sure. And so you root for her. You kind of root for the Finn Carter character recruiting her, not just looking for like the ultimate mm-hmm. um, jog. The numbers. Yeah, exactly. And so that's an interesting dynamic. And that's something that was like a cliche of that genre. You always rooted for those per- the underdogs sure. that would make it. But when it happens, it's just, you're like, eh, okay, cool. Everybody wins. Nobody wins. What? Eh. You know, it just doesn't matter. Well, we do in, the, in this movie get an important cultural artifact, which is this, the scene between Lara Flynn Boyle and the Colonel who, her dad, who would later go on to produce a load of pornography. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the only other Continue. movie I know this guy from. This is where we get the more things have changed, the more they have stayed the same as far as college goes. This was shocking, in a way. Why don't you just come with us to the college fair and at least talk to the Ramsey people? Oh, I should talk to the Ramsey people? Yeah. There are just about eight zillion kids dying to get into Michigan. Look, the sisters went to Michigan. They love Michigan. They survived. Yeah, they all survived ham pineapple surprise too, Dad. What's wrong with ham pineapple surprise? Your sisters all asked for the recipe. Dad, you know I'm not like my sisters. And I'm ready to start making my own decisions with what I want to do with my life, right? She wants to save Italian frescoes. Oh, LaSonda Jessica, how sweet. Did you ever think there might be something else around here that needed saving? Did you ever go to downtown Detroit? The whole place has to be scraped and sprayed. It's polluted. Come on, Dad, be serious. Well, I am serious, honey. I mean, why should we pay $10,000 for you to go to Ramsey when you can go to Michigan for two? I mean, I mean, come on, is the football team five times cuter? You get an education that's five times better? I'll get a job. I'm already looking into student loans. I really wish you'd decide to come with. There's been a big change with student loans, you know. They want to get paid back. That's right, kids. At one point, it only cost you $2,000 to go to state school in Michigan. Hmm. Stunning, stunning. But we get that. We get that bit of exposition. And you can tell the Savage Steve input on that exactly where it is. There's yeah. no question. Yeah. Because I can't imagine this original, if he hadn't touched up the script. Mm-hmm. And as you say, the original director, it seems like it was always a project. And maybe the script had gone through several changes. Possibly. You know. We only have one writer attributed to it, so we don't know. Hmm. And like you said, the credentials aren't that vast. Not strong. Yeah. Um, So this could have been a script that they wrote and it just sat and sat and sat until they got somebody to make it. And why would 20th Century Fox be so hell-bent on making this movie? I'm not sure. I don't know. Because 
I mean, a $10 million budget was significant then for this, for this, this kind of, of thing. Absolutely. And it has to be for the, even the talent isn't even that like big of a draw in terms of money. I wouldn't think. I mean, Anthony Edwards had a great deal of success up to that point, but it, he was not, he was not an ER term. No, it was yet. Revenge of the Nerds, Gotcha. Top Gun, yeah. I don't think anybody thinks of Top Gun and thinks Anthony Edwards, though. Yeah, they forget about him. They forget he was in it while he's but dead. Gotcha, everybody forgets Gotcha. Was he in Tag, the assassination game? No. I, think, I thought he was for that some was, reason. No. He did that HBO movie, El Diablo, I think, before oh, that was, this. That was in the 90s. That oh, was, was it? Louis Gossett Jr., the, the one John Carpenter wrote. Oh, of course, Louis Gossett Jr. I want to say that was like 93 mm. or 94, maybe? Right. Not sure. Wow. That late. But he had done like a string of successful comedies. I mean, not so successful <laughs> after this. Right. It was definitely within his wheelhouse, but also Revenge of the Nerds too. Everybody forgets he's in that. Briefly. Yeah. Now Briefly. he's actually in it quite a bit. Like he's in the beginning and then he's intermittent throughout. But yeah, you. He shot memory, all that in one day. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's one day. That's, and him and Curtis Armstrong don't have a scene, which is kind of sad. Of course, that is Kurt, sad. Yeah. Just thought about that. Ships passing in the night. Yep. Yep. The pineapple ham surprise is the big joke in that scene, and it's not that much. This is not what I expect out of Savage Steve. And he must have felt it too. He must have felt like this is a check. This is where you had to drop Savage from your billing, probably on this movie. He got his name before the credits. This is a Savage Steve Holland film yeah. in giant red letters yeah. on the screen before this thing gets started. What, but the, honestly, would you have watched this movie any other way? No. Like, you no. would have come to it for that. I might have I might have watched it at the time just for Lara Flynn Boyle. Yeah. Because? Well, they, no, the cast is pretty good, I guess. But, and this is the type of movie that was always on in the afternoon and the weekends on HBO <laughs> or Cinemax. Right. And if you didn't like this, you'd swap over to the other and somebody else would be showing Loverboy. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be like, what am I going to watch? All right, hey. I'll watch Loverboy for the 10th time. Hey. Get hungry Beastmaster for some sign. pizza. Yeah. That's <laughs> HBO stands for Dennis Miller. <laughs> My favorite Dennis Miller joke. But yeah, we get those kind of jokes and then we get stuff like um, this bit here. A car traveling with two future Ramsey students must travel from hometown A to college town B by 6 p.m. If the distance to travel is 450 miles and they observe the 55 mile per hour speed limit, how much time can they allow to stop for gas and snacks? None. Because 6 times 55 is 330. We won't get to Ramsey even if we don't stop. Then how fast should we go? Well, let's make it easy. 6 times 60 is 360. 30 minutes to spare should be enough time. So we, uh... We go 60, Marlin. Go 60. Got it. <laughs> Daredevils. This is about as zany at the, as this movie gets. Is that Edie Brickell in the that's background? That's Edie Brickell, okay. yeah, it yeah. is. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, that, that's about as... Um, the movie's just there. Yeah. It doesn't... I don't know that it's anyone's favorite movie, but it's there. There's there's bound to be somebody out there that really liked this, but... I mean, it's not... It's harmless. It's It's enjoyable just doesn't feel doesn't resonate in any kind of way you're actually the only other person i've met who's actually seen it really yeah not that i've been asking around or anything <laughs> now, like after long sessions of sitting around a table knocking back a few drinks somebody goes how i got into college man 
Have you seen that shit? Have you seen it? True. Nobody does that. No one's ever had that conversation. No, we're talking about Better Off Dead. We're talking about One Crazy Summer and getting some people jumping right into Encyclopedia Brown. Encyclopedia Brown. (laughs) Savage Steve, right? Oh, yeah. Well, he did. He still has a huge career in TV. Yeah. Very successful one. Disney and Nickelodeon. Any yeah. of any show that's on Nickelodeon or Disney that anybody liked, he was involved in somewhere. Yeah. That's really his thing. I think he found his niche there. I'm not sure he could have gone on doing feature films into the 90s. You're right. The market would have kind of dried up. And then how does he transcend into another genre? I don't know. Successfully. You don't imagine him doing like a political thriller or... Um, yeah, he's <laughs> not going to be an Alan Pakula type. No, yeah. no. <laughs> but... Uh, but it, it, I always, whenever, you know, you look at that and he's directing episodes of, did he do, I don't know, Lizzie McGuire, whatever he's mm-hmm. directing, he's got to go do the, I mean, obviously in that sense, Robert Carradine knows who he is, but do all these young kids have a clue who he is and how great and how masterful his first two movies are, or at least, especially no, Better not. Off Dead. And no, that, that kind so. of saddens me and depresses me. And I guess that's the case for a lot of directors, unfortunately, sure. that transcend into television. And that's really yeah. a, a great number of the people who are in Savage D's movies didn't really do much in terms of features and went right back into television. True. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. There no. was, you know, it was considered a downgrade at the time. I don't think it is now. No, it's but. not. No. But you're right. I mean, somebody like, Dan Schneider had that second career as a producer mm-hmm. and his cohort, Brian Robbins from head of the class became producers and they, nobody even associates the two careers as an actor and a producer. Right. It works. Definitely keeps them going. But yeah, I, we definitely need, I don't even know if we could get another Savage Steve Holland movie now that would be no, know, it would, anything like what he had already done in the eighties. You mean get somebody doing a type of movie like this or getting him to do it? No, him to do it. No, there's no way. Does he have it in him? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's sort of like thinking back on something like, could Led Zeppelin have survived the 1980s? They were, it was too much a thing that existed in this time. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's okay. No, they couldn't, yeah. Everything changed after that. And guys like Savage Steve and John Hughes and those great 80s comedy guys, just that time passed. Well, John Hughes, that's a good point, too, is that his directing kind of he became a producer for the most part mm-hmm. through the rest of his career. And he did one dr- drama as a director at the end of his career or or is his last credit, I think. And I, I'm not seeing it. I think it's like a prison drama. What? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. But it was like. You know, that was probably the movie he always wanted to do. And that's what I always think of John Hughes when I think of Savage Steve Holland. You know, no, I don't mean he's he's always wanted to do a penitentiary sequel. He's doing 16 Candles and thinking, I really want to make this a prison drama No, but he's like, somehow. you know, he was like, there was so only so much he could do. And then sure. if you look at his career in the 90s, he went from teenagers to young kids. Mm-hmm. And then he was, yeah, Home Alone's great. Home Alone 2 is great. But Curly Sue. No. Baby's no. Day Out, you no. know, it's like, it's no. like, we don't want to, and the same thing, actually, bring it back to Porky's, happened to Bob Clark. Hmm. He started directing Baby Geniuses movies. Oh, I mean, God, yeah, I forgot just, about that. Yeah, and it's like, can we ever get, we could never get another Porky's at that point, you know. Didn't need one, probably. I still want, I, you know, even though, well, there is a, technically, there is a fourth Porky's movie. What do you mean, technically? There is. Okay. 
I won't unpack it. <laughs> it's a long story. Not it's gonna unpack story. the porkies. Okay. Brian Trenchard Smith directed it. And it was made in the past fifteen years, I think. I'm gonna see days just then. Hmm? About fifteen days ago they made another no, porkies. No, no, no. And it's about <laughs> uh it's a title. It's about Pee Wee, the Dan Monahan character from the original trilogy. Oh, okay. Yeah. The original trilogy is if it was <laughs> like Star Wars. Trilogy. But uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll look into Oh, it's that. called Pimpin' Pee-wee. That's what it's called. Swear really? Subtle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they had the rights to make the sequel, and, yeah, of course, none of the original cast. I wanted, well, I wanted you know, a Porky sequel long after the fact with the same actors playing, you know. The same characters. At that young age. Because if you watch <laughs> Porky's Revenge, they're all much older. Mm-hmm. And hard to stomach as graduates at that point. Well, you know, somebody ended up with the rights to do a sequel to Showgirls 2, and that shouldn't have happened either. But, yeah. You know, now riffle. we're stuck with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, honestly, I don't think she really got the rights, though. Really? You don't yeah, think so? No, 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 no. no, no. Eh, sneaky. Yeah. You so ever, you're saying there's an opportunity to do a third one? Of? Showgirls. Sure, why not? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't no, think you, so? You, no, because you can't top perfection, really. Right? No. You you can try. But yes, 80s comedy, Savage Steve, Inseparable, We'll Always Have One Crazy Summer in Nantucket, and The Regatta. Yes. Okay, and on that, I think we'll draw this to a close. Thank you. That's it. The show is over. Thank you for listening. The Smooth Thrills Radio Hour is a production of Ghostcraft and is recorded live in Dallas, Texas. Please email your questions and comments to autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com. Enjoy the rest of your day.